You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Good morning. How's everyone this morning? Dads, you doing good? I'm missing the, the man flowers this morning. What happened? You guys are backsliding. That's what's going on. No. No, it's really great to be with you this morning. And um, if you don't know me, yeah, I... Uh, I had the privilege of um, pastoring this church for a number of years, and um, the Lord called my wife Angie and I to Sydney, Australia, where we've been there recently. Um, Just amazing things going on. Uh, Angie's uh, running some uh, equine therapy programs at uh, Equestrian Center in Sydney, and some amazing things are happening, especially with war vets, are just uh, uh, the paper just came out last week, the Sydney newspaper, to do a story on her because as she's been doing this now for six months, um, these war vets are, you know, the psychiatrists and psychologists are kind of flipping out because they're going off their meds. They're all getting better. They're, They're like pulling out of their depression and just overcoming and recovering from their PTSD. And so the Lord is using Angie in a just a very unique way. And uh, I've been doing a lot of work with refugees in Sydney. Right now, there's an initiative in Australia to bring in 12,000 uh, refugees from the Middle East. And it's a, it's a window of opportunity. And so a lot of the work I've been doing is um, uh, partnering with uh, the Arabic churches. Actually, last Sunday, I spoke in the oldest Arabic uh, speaking church in, in Sydney. It was started in 1971. And half of the church are refugees, and um, I've been going to Iraq, and we uh, actually last week, we just completed a playground in the Nahala villages, which is up in northern Iraq, and there's a series of, we call them IDP camps, and you might say, well, what's that? It's like a refugee camp, but you're not a refugee until you actually leave your country and you're seeking asylum. It's only then when you cross the border uh, that you get a number from the UN and then potentially go to another nation, but there are thousands and thousands of primarily Christians that have lost everything, their whole livelihood, have had sons, daughters, moms, dads, uncles, brothers, uh, per, uh, killed for their faith, tortured for their faith. When we're over there, we hear horrific um, stories of persecution that are beyond belief. And so these IDP camps, they, we call them internally displaced people groups. So they're still in their country, but they had homes and businesses and family in cities like Mosul, which is now completely occupied by ISIS. And they fled in the middle of the night with nothing but the shirt on their back. And now they're just living in these camps. And so um, I've been working for the last several months on on partnering. Uh, uh, Little Tykes has donated a lot of materials and we've mobilized some people and we just completed a playground that's right in the middle of five IDP camps. And so this next week, we're doing two uh, VBSs. Obviously, I'm not there. I'm here. I have to be here. I'm speaking at a conference next week. But um, we have a team of about 20 people doing VBS in these villages. And then down in Erbil, we're doing um, another VBS. We'll have about 400 children at these VBS um, uh, outreaches that we're doing there. Just amazing opportunities for ministry. And so, oddly enough, the Lord has 
put me right in the middle of Sydney. I'm working with the premier, Mike Baird. Uh, he's the premier of New South Wales, who's actually a very strong believer and um, is really trying to push through some initiatives by the church. And so I've been working a lot on partnering the, the Aussie churches with the Arabic church, which are way in the western suburbs, which have not really interacted as, as the body of Christ. And so we're uh, setting up mentoring um, uh, uh, mentoring seminars, helping to uh, inform and educate the Aussie people of the Middle Eastern culture so that this, this mentoring, because we have people coming in and they don't, they don't know what to do. They don't, they don't know if the policeman is good or bad. They, you know, why do you drive on this side of the road? I mean, how do you, they, they set them up with a bank account. They don't know how to use a, 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 a bank. So there's just all these basic things. And so mentoring has been an, an incredible opportunity for ministry. And so to mobilize the church into uh, filling that void with not just the practical aspects of mentoring, but bringing just the love of Jesus Christ to these people coming into the, the country. We are seeing many Muslims coming to faith. Many are just tired of their religion. They're, they're uh, baffled, and so they're very open to the gospel. And so we're seeing Muslims come to faith uh, every week. And so that's some of the things that we're doing there. And then continuing to just work on our church plant. We have a Saturday night Bible study that we started. Much like it looks very similar to how Whitefield started 10 years ago in the basement of uh, Faith Evangelical Lutheran. We gathered our core and we actually launched the church 10 years ago. I think it was, it was either... You know, first week of July, or no, last week, like this time, 10 years ago, right here in the Memorial Building. So um, all that to say, it's great to be here with you and um, and Australia. I got to tell you a story before I get into the our text, but I mean, what do you think of when you think of Australia? I mean, you know, most people think of poisonous snakes, poisonous spiders, great white sharks, man-eating crocodiles, you know, all, it, 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 almost every American thinks, well, Australia, isn't that the place of the deadly animals, right? So I was talking to one girl, I, I was speaking at a, at a church, guest speaking, and she said, well, where are you from in the States? I said, I'm from Colorado. And she, her eyes were as big as saucers. She said, Colorado? I said, yeah, Colorado. She said, I just saw a program like a couple months ago on Colorado. Now, now, do you guys have bears in Colorado? I said, yeah, we have. And you have mountain lions in Colorado? And, and what are these rattlesnakes? And she's going down this list. I said, yeah, that's all in Colorado. And she said, I will never go to Colorado. That place <laughs> freaks me out. So... It's all about perspective, isn't it? It's all kind of relative, too, with those things. But, no, and I haven't seen any poisonous things, you know, myself since I've been there. But, um, anyway, and Angie, my beautiful wife, she sends her love. And all of our kids, um, Isaac, Lauren, and Seth, send, send their love to you. So, all that said, let's uh, get into the Word of God. Um, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3, this passage of Scripture, Galatians 3, um, verse 26 
And then we're going to move into chapter 4 through verse 7. And the title of my message is, How to Be a Kid Again. (laughs) How to Be a Kid Again. I was recently at a conference, and I was really inspired by something I experienced. It was just a, a small group of pastors and leaders just recently. But there was just something about the conference, and this is not unique to this conference or unique to a gathering, you know, but something, everyone was just having so much fun, you know, and just enjoying worship, enjoying each other, laughing, and, and uh, there was just something about this particular atmosphere that took me back to some of my most favorite times in ministry, and that's when I was a youth pastor in Albuquerque, New Mexico, years and years ago, you know, and those were some of the funnest times. We did just crazy stuff, you know, as the, I mean, for years I wouldn't let my children be in the youth group because I was fearing for their safety, you know, because remembering my youth pastor days, we did the craziest stuff, but we had so much fun in ministry. There was so much joy in ministry, and it it caused me to, to um, be introspective just a bit. Um, and I think it was just the Lord speaking to me about my joy as a, as a child of God. Because when we really know the gospel and we really know this father, I mean, this is a Father's Day message. And, but it's a Father's Day message in focusing on our Abba Father, our Father in heaven. You know, we, you know, you fathers, you're to be honored, and, and this is your day, and there's an ottoman waiting for you with a big, fat cheeseburger later, maybe, or, but, you know, and, and amen, we love you dads. Um, and as fathers, we all fall short. I fall short as a father. You know, I love my kids. There, there's nothing they'll ever do to cause me not to love them. But even in my uh, greatest, um, uh, you know, efforts and, and motives, there's so often that I've, I've failed my children, you know. And, uh, and so we're, in, we're fathers and we love our kids, but we're imperfect fathers. But there's a perfect father. There's a father who's perfect. And his, his love is perfect, and his character is perfect, and his ways are perfect. And everything he does and all that he's about is absolutely perfect. And that's our Father in heaven. And so I want to bring us, uh, remind us of that relationship briefly here this morning. And, um, and I thought about that uh, recently, about just the joy in being a child of God. Because when you look at the New Testament... Jesus comes and he, you know, when they said, Lord, teach us to pray, he said, well, you start out your prayer by saying, our Father in heaven. Now, that was scandalous to the Jews because you never referred to God. You wouldn't even speak the name of God. They, de- they just had, you know, if you see in, in the Old Testament, you'll see that little, you'll see a few letters, you know, W uh, Y-H-W-H, which is Yahweh. When it came to the name of God, you wouldn't even say his name. He's too holy. He's too high above. You just sort of, just the name they, they, call, they call, referred to God. But here's Jesus on the scene saying, our father. Basically, the word there, Abba, father, which means daddy. Start out your prayer by saying, 
daddy. That was scandalous at the time. And so Jesus was ushering in a whole new, amazing, a revolutionary dynamic to our relationship with God as being our daddy. And certainly Jesus, that's what he was going to bring to us through his death on the cross and his resurrection to make that even possible, you see. And then throughout the New Testament, it's interesting, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the final hours of his life, here's these grown men who are, you know, they're, they're full of fear and stress because, you know, this is sort of the end. They didn't know what was going to happen even with their lives, and they've been following Jesus for three years, and Jesus refers to them as little children. They're grown men. But he says, little, little children, take courage. You look at the Apostle John, that he, in his, in his epistle uh, of 1 John, he's constantly speaking to the church as what? Children. There's something that we need to grasp as believers in our relationship with God that the gospel doesn't want to, to make us, you know, staunch, have it together, uh, you know, we're the experts and, you know, stoic. Uh, you know, you know some, some people look, you know, they act like they were baptized in lemon juice, you know, and they, it, I, I, God wants to make you a kid again. The amazing thing about the gospel is that we get to either relive our childhood in a way and all the fun stuff. But maybe you didn't have a childhood. Maybe your childhood is full of hurt and pain and abandonment and rejection, maybe even abuse. But what the gospel can give to us is a childhood we never had. I think that that's amazing to make us enjoy being a kid, enjoy being um, just a child of God. And there's a certain joy. There's a certain laughter. There's a certain... uh, uh, Life that is carefree, that comes with our status, with the heavenly father that loves us. I think that's pretty amazing. And so this passage speaks to that. And so I want to read it, and then I'm going to pray, and then I want to just unpack it a little bit, and then we're going to make some application here this morning. So verse 26, for in Christ... Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. And in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an 
heir through God. So let's pray. And so, Father in heaven, Abba, Father, our Daddy in heaven, we invite you now to just come and minister your love on this Father's Day to every heart in this place by your Holy Spirit, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would, through the gospel, that you would maybe undo some of the the barriers that are between us and you, between us and really experiencing the abundant life that Jesus Christ has come to bring to us. So, Lord, we just pray that you would be the teacher and that you would bring us to yourself through the scriptures. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everyone who agreed said amen. So verses 26 through 29, we see this. We start out, you are all sons. And then he says here, we're all sons, not through our works. We're all sons, not through we're born into a certain family. You know, uh, my daddy's a Christian, my grandpappy's a Christian, therefore I'm a Christian. No, we individually are sons of God through faith and faith alone. And basically, when we put our faith in Christ, we put on a new identity. That's what the Apostle Paul is speaking about. Now, this is all in the context of Paul's, the book of Galatians. Paul is defending the gospel because here... People are coming to Christ, not only Jews, but Gentiles are coming to Christ who have no, they have no connection with the promises of God. But they hear the gospel and they put their faith in Christ. And in that moment, as a Gentile who is completely cut off from the promises of God, who knows nothing about the, the promises of God, where a Jew would, they are grafted in and they have the same status that any Jew would have with the Father. Now, this was really troubling some of the Jewish people because they said, no way, it's not that easy. And they call them the Judaizers. It's great that you put your faith in Christ, but now you need, you know, you need to feel the pain of the Christ, being a Christian. And so they started to institute even circumcision. So imagine you're some Gentile guy in, in uh, Galatia somewhere, in Galatia's modern-day Turkey, and you come to Christ, and you're you're just praising the Lord and Jesus has taken my sins and I was just, you know, completely separated from God and rebelling against God and now God loves me and I'm this new person in Christ and there's some guy waiting there at the front door and he hands you the church bulletin and he says, son, have you been circumcised? Come with us. Now how horrible would that be, you know? And this was going on because they thought, okay, you need to, add some works. You need, to, you need to become, you know, we need to continue with the Jewish traditions in order for you to really be a child of God. And so Paul is battling this heresy, this, this delusion, this um, corruption of the simple, wonderful gospel throughout the book of, of Galatians. And so he's defending the gospel, and he's, he's standing up against legalism, and he's standing up against a false gospel. And he's saying, no, we've been given a gospel. We are saved by grace through faith alone. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we put on a new identity. I'm no longer Pete Nelson. I am God's son. I am God's child. 
And God has not only forgiven me of my sins, taken away my sins, which is in the negative, if you think about it. Forgiveness of sins is something that's taken away, but that's like half the gospel. Because the other side of the coin is not only our sins taken away, as as amazing that is, he's also put on and given to you his righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. So through Christ, God looks at you and refers to you just as he refers to his own son, Jesus Christ. That's your position. And so we spend the rest of our lives trying to put that on, trying to figure that out, trying to... um, have the old man sort of become congruent with who God says I am in Christ. And that's what he's speaking about. He's he's pulling together his whole defense of the gospel here, and he's saying, but here's how it works out practically in our hearts, that we put on our new identity, and we relate to God as our father. So we enter the family of God through regeneration. You know, you hear the, the term born again. You know, Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. He's speaking of a very important word that we understand in theology, regeneration. We've been, we've been made, a, we, we become born again. We become regenerated through Jesus Christ. So we enter the family of God through regeneration. But what Paul is saying here is that we enjoy the family of God through adoption. You see. So we enter his family through regeneration, but then we start enjoying. So what Paul is bringing us to is this, here's this amazing gospel. Our sins are forgiven. We, we have this new status. We have this new identity. We put on Christ. But now, Paul wants us to start enjoying this new reality, this new identity. And the way that we enjoy it is by understanding adoption understanding what God has done. Now, J.I. Packer, in an amazing, in the classic book, Knowing God, he says this, our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. Now, that is an epic book, Knowing God, a very important theological book. But he boils it down to this, that a person's understanding of Christianity is directly correlated to their understanding of of their adoption, of being just the child of God and relating to God as his father. Adoption is mentioned five times in the New Testament. So this is a reoccurring point and principle from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1, Galatians 4 here, Romans chapter 8, we see many references. So what Paul is talking about, Paul is a brilliant mind. He was a, he was a, he was a student of the scriptures from a young age. You know, he's described himself as just being, you know, more Jewish than anybody else. I mean, he, but he, he also was a Roman citizen, and Paul knew the legal system, the judicial system. He understood all these things. He was, he was a brilliant man. And much of his language, like when he talks about justification, I mean, this is very legal language in the context of the first century in the Roman Empire. And so when he's talking about adoption and the whole wor- verbiage here, as we read, read all these verses, verses 1 
uh, through uh, one through five. He's talking about slaves and slaveries. You're no longer a slave. You know, enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. All of this language. I don't want to break into that because it's Father's Day. So the worst thing you can do is have a long sermon on Father's Day. So let me just break it down like this. What he's talking about is the adoption laws, the Roman adoption laws. You had different statuses, okay? You were either um, in... So if you, were in, if, if you were an orphan, right, you could get a job as a slave. And there were certain laws that governed over slaves. Now, in the first century, slaves were, it's not, didn't, doesn't have the same stigma as it would have today. If you were a slave, it was like being an employee. It was like a blue-collar job, if you will, or just, you know, be, you know working in the fields or something. But you'd be a slave for a period of time. You could choose to remain being a slave to that master, but there were certain laws that would, you know, you had certain very limited rights, but you had some rights. But if you were adopted by someone, there were laws that would, um, legal documents, just like, much like today, legal documents would be drawn up that would make it, make you legal in your status as a son, because, um, you are now an heir, you see. So the way things got passed down in this culture is that, that the estate and the wealth would be passed down to whom? The son. Now you're saying here, well, I'm a woman. <laughs> and why is he talking about sons? What does that mean? What he's saying here is, is more um, amazing than you can think. Because in this culture... A woman didn't have the same rights as a man had. Just sorry to say. That's just the way it was. So you've come a long way, baby, okay? And so the, if you were a woman, you weren't the heir of the estate. You had to be the son. So what Paul is saying here is that whether Jew or, Greek or Gentile, and if you noticed in verse 29, or verse 28, rather, um, or no male or female, what he's saying is that all of us collectively, Jew or Gen, no matter our background, no matter our ethnic background, uh, no matter our race, no matter our gender, we're all brought up in, as, into the status of being a son, of being an heir. And so he's, he's referring to the Roman adoption laws that existed in this time. I like the way the NIV uh, says this verse 5 here. To redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights as sons. So that's really the point. Is that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we receive the full rights as a son. The full legal rights become ours. It's our new identity. So our change in legal status involves more than that. We have a change in legal status in the kingdom through Christ, but it involves more. We don't just get a pardon. We get the full rights as son, sons. Basically, God sees us as he sees his own son. So I'd like to refer to it like this. There's What Paul is speaking to you know, there's an objectivity and a subjectivity, right? 
Some of us, we, we understand the difference, right? Many, many of us in this room, we're very objective. We're objective people. And some in this room are very subjective. When you're objective, you look at things based on certain fixed parameters. And you, you're looking at it objectively where, no, this can't be, or you're analyzing a situation or something based on fixed truth, right? You're objective. When you're subjective, you're analyzing a, some, whatever it is, a situation, circumstance, based on your feelings, based on how you're reacting to it, based on what's going on inside of you. You're very subjective. And basically all of us at any given time, in any given circumstance, we're, we're either subjective or objective, or sometimes we're even just both, right? You feel this about it, but you try and take a step back, a deep breath, okay, objectively, how do I approach this, right? Okay, so we understand the difference between objectivity and subjectivity. Neither one is right or wrong. Subjectivity is not, it's not being evil. If you're subjective, it just means it's referring to your emotions, you, you know, how, your reaction to it. It's just subjective. Now, you don't want to let the subject run your life, and some people do, and that's an unhealthy way of living. But what we see here is both the objective and the subjective. And what Paul is saying is here's the objectivity to our faith, is that we were sinners we were cut off from God. God sent his only begotten son. He lived on this earth for 33 years, lived a perfect life, and then he went to the cross and he bore the sins of the entire human race, every sin that was ever committed by every single person in human history. He bore the penalty for those sins, which is death. He did it. He conquered sin and he conquered death. And three days later, he rose again, thus defeating sin and death. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father, and everyone who puts their faith in him, their status with God changes. Their identity changes. Their, their position becomes one of being a, a child of God. Basically, we're justified. That is the truth. That is the gospel. That's the objective truth. I don't care how you feel about it. I don't care if you can receive it. Well, that's too good to be true. Well, that's your, you know, that's your problem. You're going to have to figure that out. You know, that's being very subjective to an objectivity. Object, objectively, this is what God says. You are saved. You are perfected. You, you are justified by faith. God looks at you just if you had never, ever sinned. That's how he's relating to you right now. That concept, I'm going to spend the whole rest of my life trying to figure that one out. But that's objective truth. Objective truth is what Jesus has done for us. But what Paul is talking about is bringing in the subjectivity to the objective. Because not only do we have the head knowledge of what the gospel is, but Paul wants us to subjectively live it out, to feel it to experience it, to have it actually transform our personalities in a good way, transform our thinking, our perspective, the way that we, we handle difficulties, the way that we uh, uh, um, operate in our relationships, just the, the way we see work, the way we see 
possessions, just everything changes in a subjective manner. Do you get it? So he's talking to the, he's bringing the subjective. So, so it's the son's job, right? We, we, have, we have two agents. We have an agent um, who's the Holy Spirit, who helps us, helps our subjectivity deal with the objectivity of the gospel. This agent was not sent out to the world, but to our hearts. Jesus was sent to the world to save the world. But what Paul is saying is the Holy Spirit was sent into our hearts. The Spirit doesn't go out to redeem mankind. Jesus redeemed mankind. That was his role in the Trinity, was to redeem the human race. But the Holy Spirit was sent out to our hearts to help us to connect with and experience the work of Jesus Christ, you see. So the Spirit doesn't redeem. The Spirit helps us connect with, the, with that. It's the, it's the Son's job. It's Christ's job to make us sons, to make us the children of God. It's the Spirit's job to help us connect and experience, to know and to feel our full rights as children of God. And he has sent, and he has sent to those who already have this status. So this is a message for believers. Well, it's for unbelievers too. If you don't know Christ, you need to receive Jesus who died for you. And only in believing in him will he give you, make you his son. Until that, you're not a son. But now Paul's speaking to the believer who are already sons, and he's saying, now that you have this status, I want you to, guys to get this, is to, the Holy Spirit was sent into your heart to help you experience it. Paul refers to this connecting in Romans 8 as the spirit of adoption. It's the spirit of God helping us understand adoption. What does that look like? You know, Sinclair Ferguson wrote an amazing book. I highly recommend it. It's called Children of the Living God. And he's referring to this. He's pointing to this, this truth. But he's, he's re he references the, the famous parable of the prodigal son that we all know about. And he's, he points out that in the prodigal son, when the son comes back, he comes back with a lack of understanding of the father, right? You know, he's, he's eating with the pigs. He's squandered everything. He's like, it's better to be a, sir, a slave in my father's house than to be where I'm at now. So he comes home. But he's, he's fearful. You know, he, 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 he's, he doesn't understand the love of the father. He's thinking, if I could just be a slave. So in his mind, he has a minimal view of how grand the father's love is. And so he comes back and he says, I'm not worthy to be called your son, right? Let me work as one of your hired hands. In effect, let me work off my debt. That's how he comes back to the, to the, um, to the father. But here's what Sinclair Ferguson says. Um, in addressing how the son comes back to the father and his limited view of the love of the father. Here, quote, although the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15 is one of the best loved of the parables, the lesson it teaches us is often overlooked. Jesus was underlying the fact that the reality of the love of God for us is the last thing to dawn on us. As we fix our eyes on ourselves, our past failures, our present guilt, it seems impossible that the Father should love us. So many Christians go throughout life with the prodigal's suspicion. 
Their concentration is on their sin and failure. All their thoughts are introspective. We are slow to realize the implications of this. We have the status of sons, but we have the mindset of a hired servant. You see, it's exactly what Paul is speaking about here. The servant would never say father to his master. And a son would never say, hopefully, a son would never say master to his father. And so God wants to make us a kid again. You know, why do we always feel like a failure? We have to ask these questions. Do you feel like a failure oftentimes? Do you feel inadequate? Why are you comparing yourself to everyone else? Are you comparing your status on this earth, whether economically or occupationally? Are you com comparing your with other people and you're feeling bad about that? Are you always fearing the future and fearing that the carpet's going to get pulled out from underneath you? Why do we feel this way? It's directly correlated to what Paul is teaching us in this passage. That the Holy Spirit was sent into our hearts to help us understand our adoption. And the love, the unchanging love of the Father. And to feel it. And to experience it. And now to live out a life that is extraordinary in a very cynical world, you see. This marks the body of Christ. For me as a pastor, on equal level of importance to me, to a good sermon, a strong Bible study, to great worship, is what happens afterwards at church. When we're just together and enjoying each other and enjoying the grace of God, I call it millage. I call it the millage fact. When there's millage in the village, it's all good. You know what I'm saying? When we're having fun together, when we're enjoying the grace of God, that is gospel stuff. It really is. That's the stuff that God wants us to enter into and experience, not as an individual, but experience as the community of Jesus Christ together. I love it. He says here in verse 6, because you are sons, you already are sons. It's more than the son just coming into the world to give us this status. It's the spirit making it real to us, helping us to experience it. So what do we see in the prodigal son? The son comes back. He's feeling awful. He's feeling inadequate. He's feeling guilty. And what does the father do? He grabs him and he kisses him and he embraces him. That's the spirit of adoption. That's what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do in your life, is the love of a, of a loving father, no matter, he knows everything about you. You know, we, we believe that we can be known, and we believe that we can be loved. Our problem is we don't believe that we can be both. We don't really believe that we can be fully known and at the same time be fully loved. That's at the crux of so many of our relationships. But there's someone who fully knows you, and at the same time, he fully loves you. And the spirit of the adoption, and that's the love of the Father. But how do we experience that? That's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is not some force. The Holy Spirit is the third person in the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God. And the Holy Spirit is sent into our hearts to help us to, to make access to who we are 
in our status, as full, in, in our full rights as son. You know, Seth, when he was little, actually when we lived in Niwot, we'd tuck him in every night. We'd read him a Bible story, story, pray for him, and tuck him in every night. And so one night I came home, and he, has, he was on the bottom level, and I was exhausted. I, I don't know what was. I got home late. I was so tired. I'd been driving. And he could hear me, and, and um, he said, Dad, will you tuck me in, Dad? And I'm like, Ugh. I'm like, son, Jesus loves you, son. I'll pray for you up here. I'm, I'm going to bed. You can tuck in yourself. Just God loves you. And I said something like that, and he said, and I hear this, I know, Dad, but when you tuck me in, it feels so good. <laughs> I mean, how can you resist that, right? That's the idea here. When our father tucks us in, you know, you're not on your own in this life. You're not on your own in your finances. You're not on your own in your job. You're not on your own in your future. You're not on your own. You have a father that loves you, but then the Holy Spirit sweeps us up into to, to the, to the, to the reality of that. And it changes. It really does. It, it, it changes everything, right? So the Spirit was sent so that we would feel like sons. Something more than the objective fact of our sonship. You can be adopted and not experience your sonship. It's possible. I've met people who are adopted who never really connected, you know. And you can be a Christian. You can have all the doctrines down and, you know, memorize the you know, the doctrines that make you a Christian and you have it all up here and you got it all worked out and you can even go to seminary and just be an expert on the doctrines but still not feel and experience your sonship. It's possible. That's the Holy Spirit. So how's, what's the application real quick here? Number one, we live in a world full of posturing, we live in a world that's very performance-based, right? We live in a world where we're validated by who we are and what we do at work. I mean, this is the water we swim in, all right? That's the real world, and that's the way it's going to be until we get to heaven. But there's another kingdom where your status with God is not through your performance. That there's no posturing because Jesus is at your feet washing them. So how does this work out in real life? Well, when you're at work and your boss is getting down on you and he's telling you stuff, maybe even your dad is telling you stuff, your imperfect father or mother or voices from the past, you know, are coming at you. Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Are you listening to the Holy Spirit who's just wanting to bring you into your sonship, I, I'm telling you, it changes everything. The, th the very things that are stressing you out and burdening you and troubling you, the things at work, you know, you're, you think your boss is always down on you, and it's just, it's hard, it's stressful. Listen to the son. Holy Spirit is in you right now as a believer in Jesus Christ. And every day you wake up, the Holy Spirit wants to minister to you. 
and pull you into that relationship with the Father. When you're driving to work, when you're going through the day, when you're driving home at night, the Holy Spirit is at work. He never stops. And his passion is to point you to Jesus Christ. That's his job. To point you to who you are in Christ. To point you to your status in Christ. So the application is, let's go this morning and be more sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. All right? Secondly and simply, it changes the way that we share our faith. You know, we talk about, you know, let's go witnessing. You know, what does that mean? When I was a first a Christian, what does that mean? Let's go witnessing. It's like one of those Christian jargon words. You're just like, witnessing. What does it mean? All it means is that you are a witness to something. If you see an accident out here, you were there, you saw it, you know, and you've got your story. You know, your story is your story. It's not my story, you know. You know, someone says, you know, how, tell me about this. Well, how do you know you're saved? I was there when it happened. All right? It's my story. You can't change my story. Get out of here. Shut up. So it's, it's my story. All right? We all have our story. But when we get this, we don't go witnessing. You know, we, we are a living witness of this relationship with God. And instead of like, you know, the four spiritual laws and you want to get it all right. And we're so afraid to share our faith because we, we're going to say the wrong thing. No, it's simply like this. Have you met my dad? I want you to meet my dad. I have the most amazing dad. Can I tell you what my dad has done for me? It's as simple as that. When the spirit of adoption is in our hearts and he's, we're experiencing our full rights as sons, it's just simply as that. I want you to know my dad because my dad can be your dad. And he wants to be your dad and he can be your dad through Jesus. All you have to do is Receive Jesus Christ, but watch out because when you receive Jesus Christ, God's going to give you his spirit. He's going to come and live in your heart, and you're going to live the rest of your life experiencing what it means to be a child of God. That's my dad. What do I need to do to get it? Oh, nothing. Just say yes. Just believe. That's it. It just changes our witness as the children of God. And so... It's such an important truth that I wanted us to be reminded of this morning on this Father's Day. Hey, this Father's Day, dads, moms, kids, everyone here, enjoy your status and your full rights as the children of God, as sons of God, because that's yours. That's what Jesus came to give to you. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, let's all stand as we pray. Father, we, we just rejoice this morning on this father's day all of us just rejoice in who we are in christ lord i pray that we um, our hearts would leap for joy i pray that our um, burdens and lord the the things that are robbing us from our joy Lord, I pray that they would just melt away as we listen to you, as we, as we become more sensitive to the Holy Spirit who has been sent into our hearts to get us caught up into 
who we are in Christ. Lord, that is amazing. We, can, we don't have to do anything to earn your love. There's nothing we'll do to subtract. There's nothing we can do to add to what you have done for us on the cross. Praise the Lord. And so we're free, Lord. We're free in you to live as, as the children of God. And I pray that you'd help us do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing a song, but really great being with you this morning. God bless. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.